Welcome to the Sisters Community Church Podcast. What does it mean to be born of God? Well, today, Pastor Steve Stratus is going to continue our series in 1 John, where we pick it up in chapter 5. Let's listen. Well, um, we have over the last, oh, six, seven months, been studying the book of 1 John. And this is our last Sunday with uh, 1 John. And so I want us to um, just take a look at a few verses. Last week, Ryan showed a quote from Larry Crabb. I want you to see it again, um, because I think in a sense, um, this is really the heart of John, even though Larry Crabb wrote it, about what he desires the readers to understand. If we were to look at 1 John, it's framed, the first few verses and the last few verses, it's framed in such a way that John wants us to go away with confidence in the desire that God has for intimacy with us. It's more than just head knowledge. It is God's desire to have fellowship with us, relationship with us, the sweetness of intimacy. And he wants us, John that is, wants us to go away with an understanding that we can be confident in what Christ has offered. So think of this. It says, I assume the Spirit is always whispering Abba to God's children, assuring them that they are safe in his care. And he is continually calling them to become what God saved them to be, solid people, indestructibly alive, hurting perhaps, but consumed with pleasing the Father. And if that is true, then what, again, my desire, our desire, as we continue to grow in our relationship with Christ, is to live out that confidence, that assurance. The word assurance, the word confidence, runs all throughout the epistles because there's something that God wants us to live in and that is confidence in him. And when that confidence becomes a part of our life, because of his grace, it comes with great humility too. There's a kind of confidence that we might have in ourselves because we work hard at something, we're disciplined, we practice, all of those kinds of things. But confidence without humility just ends up being arrogance. And the beauty of the gospel the beauty of God's grace in our lives, when we really understand that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy, he saved us, he changed us. We're humbled by that. And because it's the work of God that does it, our confidence is in him. So pray with me, we're gonna read these last verses. Father, we pray uh, this morning that you would uh, teach us how to live out this gospel that um, is so beautiful and so precious in regards to how we might continue to be the people of God. And so, God, I I would ask that um, you would just uh, help us recognize that um, as we live our life, may we understand that it's only because of you that we can be fulfilled. It's only because of you 
that we begin to enjoy the freedom of the forgiveness and the grace that you provide for us. So God, would you just um, bless our time this morning, give us ears to hear, and help us to, to live out this, uh, this new gospel that uh, you have so beautifully given to us. And I pray in Christ's name, amen. It's always wonderful when you use an iPad and you lose all your notes while you're about to speak here. So we're going to wing it this morning, and, uh, but that's okay because God is faithful. Um, so let me read to you these verses that I want us to look at. 1 John chapter uh, 5. This is what it says in verses 18. We're going to start in 18. It says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. One who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know, verse 19, that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, being in his Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So if you look at those three verses, 18, 19, and 20, each one of them begins with, we know. We know. We know. And it takes us a long time to live in the kind of assurance at times because we're so prone to our own human performance, even as religious people, who think that the way we live is what brings God's satisfaction and acceptance. And oftentimes that performance is never quite what it ought to be, if we're honest. And so it either leaves us in a place of maybe being self-righteous because we're better than other people, or it ends up being uh, we feel somewhat shame or, or, or guilt because we never quite get to where we want. But when John is talking to us about this assurance, this knowledge, think of how long it takes us to be confident about certain things. Uh, how many of you know who, um, um, can't even remember his name, so you don't know him. Um, <laughs> but, but he had a column, it, it, it said something like, things that it took me 50 years to realize. And uh, I thought, and he was in his 70s, so that relates to some of you. And he said, the first thing I learned was to never take a sleeping pill and a laxative on the same night. (laughs) That just sounds bad, right? He said, another thing that I've learned is that our hobbies are very close to our mental illness. Because maybe if you're married to someone who's got a hobby and it consumes them. He said, another thing was I learned never to uh, lick a steak knife. Uh, He said, you know, one of the things I've learned, he said, over the years is that uh, one word would identify man's inability to achieve his potential or ever 
achieve its potential, and that word is meetings. I wanted that for Brian Harris. So, that aside for a moment, there are things that you and I, when we live in confidence, really makes a significant impact in our life. But what John is trying to tell us here in these last verses, he's trying to tell us that this confidence comes from knowing God. And so if you look at these three verses, I want, there are three things that he says here, and they're not three different people. They're the same person, but in three different ways of looking at it. He says in verse 18, we know that anyone born of God. In verse 19, he refers to them as children of God. And then in verse um, 20, he talks about eternal life. And in each one of those instances, he's talking about something that takes place in our lives that is necessary for us to live in the confidence that he's calling us to be aware of. He's saying we need to be born of God, we need to be children of God, and we need to have eternal life. And so in in actuality, what he's talking about, for all of us, he's talking about this new birth. It's the thing that Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man uh, be in Christ, he's a new creature. He would say, uh, Peter would say in 2 Peter 1.4, that in Christ we are partakers of a new nature. He's calling us to an awareness of this new life that is very different than the religious life. It's a life that comes as a result of the Spirit doing something in, our, in us. And in these three verses, and I, and I want us to see this, there are three things that he says that I hope by the time we leave this morning that they would become a part of us. You see, when I was watching this thing uh, about Chuck Smith the other day, and it was all about the Jesus movement, and for many of us coming out of that Jesus movement, It was a time of real revival. People were born again. And I know you've heard that expression before. um, And it's not, as I've often said, another denomination. The new birth is what Christianity is all about. The new birth is when the Spirit of God begins to be a part of our life coming in and begins to change us from the inside out. It's about spiritual transformation, not about moral reformation. So what this is, is what John, who's the writer of this, has introduced way back in the Gospels. Sociologists tend to think that this new birth is only for maybe poor people, or it's prison salvations, or people who are not that smart, or it's, it's for women because they tend to be more emotional, or it's for the low income category because they need something in their life. But when you go back to the Gospel of John, it's really interesting because John tells the story of Jesus, and in the beginning of that Gospel, there's the story of Nicodemus. You've probably read it. Nicodemus is a religious person. He's a moral person. He's an upstanding person. He reads the Bible, and he's very curious about Jesus, and he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, and he says to Jesus, teach me something about life. And Jesus very abruptly says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. 
There's something that Jesus is calling him to that even though he's religious, even though he's upstanding, even though he's well off, even though he's a man, even though he's a, he's a, a Pharisee, if you will, Jesus says to him, you must be born again. You go to the next chapter and John tells the story of Jesus meeting a woman at the well. This woman is not religious. This woman is not moral. This woman is not upstanding. This woman doesn't come from the good side of the tracks. But Jesus says to her in different language, but ultimately the same thing in the same way that John is saying, born of God, children of God, eternal life. He says to her, you must be born again. And he says it to her because the metaphor that is being given, if you drink of me, you will have water that will satisfy you forever. And so it doesn't matter whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, whether you're religious, whether you're non-religious, whether you're moral, whether you're immoral, whether you got money, you don't have money, Jesus would say to you and say to me, you must be born again. And so as John finishes this epistle, he doesn't want to leave us without an understanding of what that looks like, what that means. What does it mean to be born of God? What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to have eternal life? And so I want us to look at these verses and go from the back, the 20th back to the 18th and get a sense of what the new birth represents. So look at verse 20 with me. He says this, because it, it's talking about change. So he says in verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. The new birth means a change of mind. It means a change of the way that we think. The writer of Hebrews says, faith is understanding. Faith comes as a result of thinking differently thinking differently about Jesus, thinking differently than about life, thinking differently about joy, about what life is. And so John begins, if you will, with saying that being born again means that your mind is different. Now, what that means is that we begin to think differently. Um, Paul would say it in letter to the Philippians, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. There isn't a spiritual awareness that comes as a result of you and I inviting the Spirit of God into our life and begin beginning to new ways of looking at life. Because all of us in life have developed certain neural circuitry as a result of living in this world that has oftentimes come with snatch and grab and power plays and, and attitudes that are everything but what Jesus is about. And you know that that happens in your life if you've been born again, because as you grow in your faith, your thinking gets different. It's not that you change overnight. Growing in any relationship takes a long period of time, but the Spirit of God working in your mind, as John says, receiving spiritual understanding, helps you to begin to think differently. You think about it with the Apostle Paul when he said, every time I want to do good, I find evil present with me. Because all of us have developed ways of thinking that are destructive. 
But when we come into this new birth that John is talking about, and we come with confidence, we begin to think differently. We begin to exercise faith. We begin to hide the word of God in our heart. We begin to understand how God looks at life. And the things that maybe were pleasing before are not so much pleasing anymore. New birth represents this radical new way of thinking. Ryan said something this morning, that God's thoughts are above our thoughts. The writer of Proverbs says, as a man think in his heart, so is he. The reality of how we think is changed. And so my question to all of us, have you changed? Is your thinking different? Are you thinking with Christ? Is your response one of get back, payback, or forgiveness? Are you a grace person? Do you look to give compassion? Is forgiveness a part of your repertoire? Because you think differently. The second thing that John says here in, in verse 19, notice what he says, we know that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Remember we talked about the test, the, the uh, doctrinal test, the relational test, the moral test. Well, in what John is doing here, he's talking to us initially about a different kind of mental understanding, a doctrinal test. Now he's talking about identity. He says, we know we are children of God. How do we identify in the world in which we live? When people oftentimes meet us, do we recognize that we're different. They're different as we begin to think. And the difference here is what he says. He says what is interesting here is that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. It doesn't mean that they're evil, but it does mean that there are two realms in life. There's light and darkness. There's the realm where Christ thinks and gives us his thinking, and then there's the world where the God of this world blinds the minds of those that don't believe. And we recognize, if we look at the world out there, we recognize we have a problem. And the problem is oftentimes that the way people want to solve the problem is in economics. Or think about it. When you ask a person, what's the problem with the world? They would say, well, we haven't evolved to that place yet where the world is just going to be like it should be. Or, you know what, we need better educational institutions because if we just got better at the education part, we wouldn't have as many problems. Or politically, if we could just, you know, get our politics together, the world would, would be a different place. Or, or you know, if we were not so raciously, or raciously or sexist in our approach, maybe that's the problem. How are we going to fix our world? Because what John is saying is, thinking that is oftentimes overcome by this way that the devil orchestrates. We have to think differently. So the heart needs to be changed because we, as God's children, have a new identity. And in that new identity, we lean into Christ and we begin to live in that sense of God directing our steps. And I am who I am by the grace of God. 
I am who I am because of what Christ has done. I am who I am because God's love has permeated my soul. And we begin to, as we identify our heart with that, we begin to understand that there's a different way of living. And the third thing he says here in verse 18, he says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Now, we probably know that's not true, but what he's not saying is because we're followers of Christ, we never sin again. But what he is saying is our world is different. Our condition is different. Christ has invaded our space, and we belong to him, and the Holy Spirit speaks into our life. And Jesus said in John 10, he said, you know, that none shall pluck them out of the Father's hand. And so he's talking about in these three verses what it really means to be a born-again follower of Christ. It, it, it means we have a new mental awareness. And we feed that mental awareness because we want to continually to grow in God's thoughts because we'll know the truth and the truth will set me free. It says that we have a new heart identity. I identify with Christ. And when I identify with Christ... I know how much he loves me, what he gave for me, and I live in the confidence of that ability to identify. I'm a child of God. And John says, we know that we are children of God. And then I know that not only that's true, but I also know that I can make different decisions in verse 18. Notice this verse 18. I think it's really interesting. So he says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Notice what John says here. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Who's the one that is born of God that keeps them safe? The interesting thing here is that John is helping us to recognize that Jesus, too, if we might say this, was born of God. Jesus experienced the new birth. Jesus existed before the incarnation, and when he came to this planet, in a sense, was born of God. And because he was born of God, and because he lived the life that God originally intended for us to live, and because he died the death that was our death to die, and because he was raised from the dead and lives a new life, he who was born of God keeps us safe. We don't continue to sin because we belong to him. And what it means, it's not that we're talking about perfection. We're talking about direction. Because in the new birth, the Holy Spirit that comes and regenerates us continually convicts us, continually leads us, continually comforts us. Now, all this is a bunch of information that means nothing if you're not born again. So the question this morning, really, as we leave this has your mind been changed? Is your identity in Christ? Is your ability to walk out the moral test, are you different? I remember when I first became a believer, this is really an illustration, and so don't judge me. Um, but I was a new believer, and I left the teepee, and I went back east, and I was working for my dad, and some of my old friends showed up. And uh, they came in, and of course, they had the best weed possible, and uh, they said, hey, you want to get high? 
And, you know, it was in those days where you think, oh, I'm just going to identify with them and, and help them know that I'm, I still care about them, so I'll get high with them. So we sat around and we smoked some joints and, and uh, forgive me, and if you don't want me to be the pastor anymore, that's okay. So, um, and uh, so I smoked a joint and it was the worst experience that I'd ever had. And I remember the Spirit of God saying, so you thought this used to be getting high? And I realized in that moment my life was not my own anymore. That what I thought was getting high wasn't getting high at all. It was the most depressing, discouraging experience that I had. And God was sort of saying to me, it's not the same anymore. You don't belong to the world anymore. You belong to me. And so I think in your life and in my life, because I, you know, have been doing this thing for 50 years, and I meet so many people who go to church who've never been born again, who've never been changed. They're moral, they're good people, but the way that they think about the world in terms of how it changes is biological, economical, educational, um, in so many different ways. But the reality is only Jesus can change lives. And so John wants us to know that. John doesn't want us to leave this epistle and go away and say, man, that was a great study. John wants us to go away and understand what it means to be changed. So my challenge as we end and about to take communion is that you would meet Jesus. Because Jesus came so that he could give the Spirit if you look at Pentecost and the Spirit falls on those guys, you think about Peter, you think about John, you think about, they all had conversion experiences of their own. And everybody's experience is different. But I fear that sometimes we confuse morality with spirituality. We confuse going to church with being bought with a price. We confuse the death, burial, and resurrection with the man who lived a long, long time ago who was a good guy. So this morning, I'm going to ask you this. We're going to about take communion. When you read uh, about Jesus breaking bread with people, you read at the end of a book of Luke with the men who are, or the individuals who are walking the road of Emmaus, and they went to their house, and Jesus went with them, and he broke bread with them. And when they broke bread, their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus. They didn't know who he was up until that point. Matter of fact, they criticized him and said, do you not know what's going on? And yet when they broke bread, they saw him and their lives were different forever. So my prayer as we finish this book is that we would live confidently. John says three times, we know, we know, we know. But the only way that we can live confidently is if we put our trust in Christ. Because he has given us the victory. He is going to change the world. 
He is coming again. And when we give ourselves to him, our mind begins to change. Our heart begins to change. Our will begins to change. And the life that God is calling all of us to begins, the abund- begins to be that abundant life that Jesus talks of. So let's pray. Father, I just ask you um, to speak into our lives and to help us recognize the beauty of what it means to know and to be born of God. And Scott, as we, as we live out that truth, we're about to take part in communion. Communion is really for people who want to know you. Communion is for people who have embraced you because in communion we get a chance to remember you. And so, Lord, I pray. If you're here this morning and and you've never said to Jesus, would you come into my life and live? Would you change my mind? Would you change my heart? Would you change my will? Would you make me a new person in Christ and help me to grow and become everything that you desire for me to be? And as I come to the communion table, make yourself known to me. Thanks for listening. We hope this encourages you to dive deeper into your relationship with God through prayer, scripture, worship, and community. We hope you can join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30. For more information, go to sisterschurch.com. Be blessed, friends.